Oh, are, are we going? Uh, yeah. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast. I'm Sense. And I'm so high, I can hear my hair growing, man. <laughs> That's theory. <laughs> and today, we're going to talk a little bit about marijuana. We're Wacky tobacco. We're going to talk about the history. We're going to talk the about- The devil's lettuce. <laughs> where we're at today and uh, where we may be in the future. It's, uh, it's an interesting story. So I think- as with any story, you got to start at the beginning. Yep. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, zero BC. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about American American culture mostly today. Well, here in America, if, if you're going to talk about like legislation in, in marijuana, you kind of have to start with good old Harry Buzzkill Anslinger. That's that's uh, not his middle name, is it? Is uh, that really? It is, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but no. Uh, this dude is is he's the original narc, man. He's he's the original hater. Um, he is almost single handedly responsible for the fact that weed is illegal in this country. Now, yeah, you can make an argument that surely the way we do things, somebody would have come around, and, <laughs> you know. But he was the driving force. Uh, behind just the perception that dominated the early half of the 20th century and on. And, you know, we're still dealing with the after effects that weed is just a super harmful thing. Was was he in any way responsible for reefer madness? He, yes. His, uh, his, the prohibition agency that he was in charge of, as well as other parts of the government, uh, definitely had a hand in helping get reefer madness produced and, uh, definitely had some uh, uh, insights that they gave that they needed in the movie. <laughs> some insights <laughs> yeah. in that movie. And for yeah. those of you that don't know, you should go watch Reefer Madness. It's absolutely bananas. It's it's a testament to the most atrocious, in my opinion, some of the most atrocious aspects of play our it, government. Play it faster. Play it faster. <laughs> oh, uh, this led to the notion that, you know, weed would uh, cause promiscuity or interracial yeah. dating yeah. or uh, jumping out of windows. Yeah, or among... getting in cars with strangers. Just all <laughs> sorts of terrible things. <laughs> Which I think, as we all know, is uh, absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. But, you know, it's a funny story about Anslinger because he, okay, so he was ahead of the Prohibition Bureau, right? And what's funny is prior to the early 30s, uh, Anslinger actually, you know, was on the record about marijuana. Um, he, he actually said that weed wasn't a problem. It isn't harmful. And that there is no more absurd fallacy than the notion that weed makes folks violent. Okay. But that so was during that's, alcohol that's, prohibition. Oh, oh, wait. When the Prohibition Bureau Co had plenty context. of things to do, right? So what happens is we repeal Prohibition, and now all of a sudden, Harry is on this one-man crusade to say that we have to fight marijuana. Sounds There's like somebody needed a job. <laughs> exactly. Sure enough, there is no end to the amount of awful things that you can blame on bureaucracy in this country. <laughs> mm. And and weed went on to be successfully demonized, um, used in the 60s as a tool to demonize the hippie counterculture, yep. which was you know anti-Vietnam mm -hmm. and, and anti-government in, in a large way. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of... Kind of an odd picture to paint there, Mr. <laughs> Harry Anslinger. Yeah, yeah. No, it's he he did. He actually he uh overlapped just a touch with that. Like I said, he ran the Prohibition Bureau for 32 years. And uh he did overlap with that culture. And, and even at the end, uh he was saying that, you know, it's gonna subvert our youth. Uh his his big case that he had made is that, you know, it was it was Mexican immigrants pouring across the border. <laughs> you don't say bringing this awful destabilizing plant into our country and stuff. And so, yeah, then you see the hippie movement kind of embrace it. Uh, yeah, even the beatnik movement. Oh, you know, sure. In the late 50s, early yeah. 60s. But they, they embrace weed. And that's when 
attitudes started to shift. And I think by the latter part, especially like, you know, the seventies and on of the 20th century, we were almost in a completely different place. Oh yeah. And and by the time, by the time those people had kids Mm -hmm. and raised their kids who are, you know, you and I, right. Right. Um, it was this, in, in this really weird place where pretty much everyone's parents were like, oh yeah, we know, we know there's nothing wrong with it, but <laughs> yeah. uh, it's still illegal. So shame on you, you know, <laughs> wagging their finger at <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, and that's a weird place for a kid to kind of grow up in, especially when the culture around you is embracing it too. I mean, I grew up with, with Snoop Dogg yeah. and, you know, half-baked. Yeah. Um, Cottonmouth Kings, even Cypress Hill, man. Cypress Don't Hill. leave out Cypress oh, yeah. Hill. No kidding. I mean, it was all over TV and movies. Friday came out, and everyone mm-hmm. was on Friday. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, but there was even like, I mean, you know, so prior to that, they'd also had Cheech and Chong. Hey, and, and then you saw like that's that's what I'm saying. Like you saw like it just a damn break when Cheech and Chong came out. That was that was a big deal. That there were people, you know, on on TV and they're on, I'm sorry, on the movie screen and they're smoking weed and stuff. And if you went to go see one of those movies, then you were definitely like a pot smoking turkey and Mm -hmm. stuff. Everybody my age saw half baked. Yeah, and I didn't hear I didn't hear any outcry about it anywhere. There might have been a time that I was watching Half Baked and like my mom walked in and was like, Oh yeah, okay. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and you fast forward just a little bit to this new generation and and there's no even like outline of a dam where no, it was. No. I mean, I think kids these days, uh, half of us live in, in states where marijuana is legal in, in some way. I think more right. than half of states now have some kind of legal marijuana law on the books. So at this point, um, you know, you can't tell kids that it's wrong. You got the dab videos going viral. You got grannies smoking weed with like millions of hits. There's a guy with the world's biggest Kush blunt links in the <laughs> links in the show notes. Check it out. It is a giant blunt. <laughs> I can see why it's got so many views, but like there's just no, the government has completely lost power here. Right. If you ask me with the people, this is like one of the biggest areas, uh, the biggest slaps in the face from the federal government and and Congress and and the people who are supposed to represent us. When when more of more than half the country has stepped forward and said no, this is okay. You've got you got kids smoking weed. You got adults smoking weed walking down the street. Oh man, there's there's head shops are going up like wildfire. I mean, I, I can remember you, you go to the mall back in you know our time, like when we were in high school. Seven different stores have weed shirts. Sure, you know you go to any gas station right now. There are seven thousand different flavors of blunt wraps just right there on display. <laughs> no one's smoking that like, many Phillies, son. <laughs> yeah, like anybody is going to use that for anything else. Yeah, no, no, I need a peach cigar. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, if if anyone was was blocking the path forward on, on weed for our generation, I'd say it was Republicans, but yeah. nowadays like 64% of Americans favor legalization and a m- Republican majority back it for the first time. And and I would, to tell you the truth, I would question how recent that poll is. I have no idea. Because save for the elderly or the hyper-religious or America's favorite Keebler elf, Jeff Sessions, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I heard anybody like just go all in on anti weed. I think sixty four percent at this point is probably very conservative. Keebler Elf Jeff Sessions. Maybe you could bring me some cookies, man. <laughs> For real, I'm getting hungry up no, here. It's, it's it's gotten. We've reached a point where like uh, the rubber really has like met the road on legalizing weed. And at this point, the only thing you're doing by like prolonging the prohibition of weed is is causing more harm. And there is no shortage 
of examples of the ways that weed causes harm. That's right. Um, I feel like it's just an intimidation device at this point, especially if you're black. I mean, when we talk about racial equality on the show and we've both admitted and accepted that there's definitely racial bias in the justice system. And this is a this is a big one, man. Uh, marijuana use by all studies is roughly equal among blacks and whites. Mm-hmm. But blacks are three point seven three times as likely to be arrested for marijuana possession. Wow. I mean, and, you know, what's what's to note is that was actually that was prior to legalization. Right. So. Even after uh, legalization, in some instances, we're seeing the same thing. For Wait, instance, what? Yeah, even even after legalization in places like Alaska, where weed is legal, uh, black folks are still arrested at something like 10 times the rate of white folks, despite arrests for all races dropping 99%. So what? they've legalized weed, but they still have a few things that they can arrest you for for weed. Well, in Alaska, they're still arresting black people at 10 times the rate. So I think the point there is... Let's not, it's, it's, there is a racial bias problem in policing and justice, as we've talked about on the show a number of times. Let's not give them any more tools <laughs> with which to flex that muscle. And flexing that muscle, they are. Yeah. Um, the DEA in America is in charge of scheduling a substance, and that is determining how harmful it is and what the penalties, uh, you know, how harsh the penalties should be. So, and they, they determine that by sacrificing chickens. <laughs> and letting blood fall onto a dartboard and then deciding that that substance goes in this schedule, right? Yeah, because the scheduling is pretty much akin to uh, Santeria. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, a Schedule 1 substance has no currently acceptable medical use, uh, lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision, and a high potential for abuse. Substances okay. include heroin. Yeah, I think that matches the criteria. LSD. Oh, 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 okay. I might have a different opinion, but it's three, you know. four methyl and dioxymethamphetamine. I, be- uh, I believe you mean ecstasy, <laughs> MDMA. That's yeah, correct. Okay, ecstasy's pretty tough. Uh, and marijuana. <clears throat> no, uh, no medical uses. <laughs> yeah, none, none. Exactly. Hmm. Uh, schedule two substances in this schedule have a high potential for abuse, which may lead to severe psychological or physical dependence. And examples of Schedule Two narcotics include Dilaudid, mm-hmm. Methadone, uh, Oxycontin, Fentanyl, and uh, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a cocaine. Minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me that according to the DEA, weed is worse than fentanyl? Weed has no accepted medical use, even under supervision. <laughs> fentanyl, you know, we give it to people in hospitals all the time. We all know <laughs> who the cause of the uh, opioid epidemic is. It's largely the... Uh, <laughs> You know, pharmaceutical reps who push it and the doctors who overprescribe it. Right. Um, yeah, but weed, though. Uh, and then Schedule 2, I mean, Schedule 3, Schedule 4, Schedule 5, it's just, you know, less and less. You get down to, like, Valium and yeah. and, and diet, which I would argue yeah. Valium is is more harmful than than weed. Yeah, absolutely. We got, uh, what, Kalanapins in Schedule 4. Yeah. And, and you know, again, I it, it, it makes you wonder, like, what the criteria that they decided to use this on. I made the joke about Santeria and chickens and stuff because I, I get what they're saying as far as high physical dependence and whatnot. Again, I would, I would question that with lysergic acid diethylamide, <laughs> right. but fair enough. Um, but yeah, you start to see all these things that common sense, this is way more harmful than that. Why is this down here? 
And it wouldn't be a big deal if these schedules were just maybe how they wanted to pursue it. But these schedule, you know, the schedules get reflected in sentencing as well, because oh, now, sure. this is a schedule one, nar- you know, narcotic or whatever. And that is only a schedule four. That's, that's a huge problem, especially with the problems with, uh, you know, the way that people are, you know, raiding the medicine cabinets these days, especially with that going on. It's time to flip that around and not give the wrong impression to people. Yeah, there's no question. And my thing is this, like, you've got to wonder why specifically it went from schedule two to schedule one, right? Like if you're making, if you're the guy making that decision, you go, ah, no medical use. It's, it's almost like there's a, there's a reason. And, and we know that the government has withheld funding for marijuana studies. Mm. You know, they've been a big uh, stumbling block in that area for a long time. And, and the underpinning of that is the scheduling, right? So they right. go, they throw up their hands and go, well, the United States government has decided that there is no medical use. But here's the thing is weed people are, are smarter than people give them credit for, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so what did the weed community start doing um, as an answer, you know, they, they started the medical marijuana movement, right? which is brilliant. So, you know, all of a sudden you are attacking, uh, you know, multiple facets of the government's official position on weed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as the first state says, yes, there are medical uses, in fact, so much so that we will allow doctors to prescribe it yeah. um, and, and, you know, sanctify that. Uh, then you've you've just started dismantling, you know, pieces of that wall. Yeah. It's, well, not to mention it, it was an, a very effective propaganda tool because now you also get to take sick people and sick people who are getting their marijuana, which helps them, and you get to hold that up there and be like, "Are you going to take Graham Graham's weed away?" Yeah, in a in a in a big way, that's kind of like people standing on the graves of dead children for for gun reform, right? <laughs> so on one hand, I would be against that kind of behavior, and here I am holding that up as a as a victory for well, the for the weed people. It's kind of kind of weird. I just want to admit my bias when I see it, right? I hear you. I think it's a little bit different when it's a byproduct rather than your main push. You mm. know what I mean? So with guns, I think it's the main push. My God, the children. Uh, Graham Graham and her, her, you know, cannabinoid pills or whatever. Um, that's just kind of, you know, that's a byproduct of saying that, Hey, this, this stuff does have a medicinal value. And it, and it does. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at Haley's hope, which was uh, a CBD oil that was developed to treat uh, a girl's, a little girl's seizures that absolutely eliminated her seizures. What is, what is CBD oil? Really? We, prepared for a marijuana show and you don't know what CBD oil is. Okay, here we go, folks. I don't know folks. what any of these terms are, <laughs> I, especially if the government's listening. I just found out how to correctly pronounce marijuana today. So, <laughs> so, so CBD oil is a non-psychoactive component of marijuana. You know, THC is the component that gets you high. Mm. Um, CBD apparently, uh, not even apparently, factually, will stop seizures in some patients. Um, mm. So it's able to be extracted apart from the THC. You can extract it from hemp, uh, which is non-psychoactive and for some reason still illegal to grow in most places. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's there's right there an acceptable medical use for the marijuana plant, not right. to mention uh, the American Cancer Society touts cannabis as treating nausea and vomiting from cancer chemotherapy. 
Uh, and there are plenty of cancer patients that'll tell you this is the only thing yeah. that that keeps me from puking uncontrollably all day and being able to eat and keep food down. No, that's that's accepted and has been portrayed in media and reported in news for the better part of 25 years. That's right. Um, they say it's helpful for treatment of neuropathic pain. That's uh, pain caused by damaged nerves. Smoked marijuana has helped improve food intake, like I said, uh, especially You're damn in, right it is. In, <laughs> in HIV studies. Studies have long shown that people who took marijuana extracts in clinical trials tended to need less pain medicine, even. Hmm. And I think you see the mirror of that. I know in states that have legalized, there have been a couple reports that have said opioid use has dropped significantly oh, since wow. the legalization of weed. So maybe there's this you know, counterbalance there. I don't know. It's, it's shown in these studies. Um, more recently, even scientists have reported that THC and other cannabinoids such as CBD slow growth and or cause death in certain types of cancer cells growing in lab dishes. And, and I'm not just taking this from natural news. This is from the American Cancer Society's website. Yeah. Um, and that, that to me blows a wide hole in the side of this ship, right? When mm-hmm. we when we look at the current scheduling of marijuana, and I'll remind you, substances in this schedule, Schedule 1, have no currently accepted medical use in the United States, a lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision, and a high potential for abuse. No. Um, you know, it throws that out the window. Yeah. I think I think you also see that, like, main the mainstream is is most certainly waking up to that, and actually even Big Pharma is uh, starting to come around. There's a, a, a drug, I think, called Epidiolex mm. uh, that's to treat seizures. And a company, uh, GW Pharmaceuticals out of England, anticipated being released and placed in Schedule 4 or 5. That's ludicrous so to me. It's, that- it's actually, on one hand, um, yes, on one hand it is because now that Big Pharma's involved, now we have no problem scheduling it as 4 or 5. But, you know, but at the same time, I think it indicates that people are coming around, that those those that iron grip that the anti-marijuana forces have had for so long is loosening and breaking. Well, down. And, and like you said, it's ironic that that's happening now that Big Pharma is involved, <laughs> yeah. you know, in their multi-million dollar lobby. I'm just saying. Yeah. But I would also I would also point out, though, just to, to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here. That at this point, uh, if you look around, cannabis cures virtually every ailment, malady, and affliction that <laughs> mankind has ever encountered. You got cancer, there's weed for that. You got toe fungus, rectal itch, just rub some <laughs> weed on it, baby. Voila. And and I think we, we got to be careful not to just completely get behind because what we do is we risk propping this up as something that it can't possibly live up to. And and then what? Have yeah, you, got? you know, I could see that. I could see that. If, but I I don't see the stakes being that high. Like, you know, so you want to say, ah, oh, weed will cure your cough. Like, <clears throat> you know, well, no. you're an idiot. But no, but it is if if companies or you know little fly by night operations start capitalizing on it and selling it to people and then putting their hopes into it and then them not getting cured, mm. then it, yeah, no, then it's a very real problem like snake oil. Okay. And yeah, yeah, like I'm not I'm not cool with that. I'm not saying that we should keep our weed laws intact by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying, hey guys, like you've kind of you you've got the momentum, you're starting to crest that hill. 
we can slack back on the weed cures every possible thing <laughs> that's wrong. Hell, it even Too cured shame. the pollution in my hometown. You know what I mean? It, it gets a little crazy sometimes. Fair enough. But I think it's fair to say there's there's more than a significant body of evidence that supports that marijuana has uh, medically accepted use and, if nothing else, should be immediately removed from Schedule 1. And I mean like yesterday, immediately. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. At, at the same time, I think there, there's kind of like this middle ground, right? Like, so on one hand, yes, our, our weed laws are crazy. But at the same time, I mean, weed is not just this, you know, untainted, perfect super substance that there are harmful effects to smoking marijuana, yeah. right? They do. Yeah, yeah, they do exist. Science has shown that it definitely impacts cognitive developments in teens. Okay. And science- Like drinking coffee, you know? Yeah. Science and every pot smoking turkey in the world knows that it can have a pretty uh, a pretty strong impact on your- um, uh, Marijuana affects the memory. Ah. Thank you. And uh, everyone who's ever woken up covered in Cheeto crumbs and ding dong wrappers with two hours left before their term paper is due knows that it can also seriously affect your motivation. And that's not, you know, I mean, that's not just anecdotal. Yeah. I mean, science backs that up. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, there are definitely negative consequences. There are lots of things that we do uh, in, you know, in full freedom that have negative consequences. That's right. Part of part of freedom is is being able to partake in things that have alcohol negative all day. consequences. Yeah, yeah, alcohol all day. It's just I think the key is that we have to learn not to treat it any differently. Yeah, we should have learned our lesson with with prohibition. We very quickly realized. <laughs> Uh, what a problem prohibition was. And in fact, under marijuana prohibition, uh, you know, we often talk about America's prison population, which far and away eclipses any of our nearest neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you got to think a good portion of that is has got to be due to pot, right? Well, actually, no. Uh, I, I think that we do have a problem with marijuana laws, but I think we also need to be clear about, you know, the effects that it's having. And I think one of the great myths that's been kind of sold by the the pro weed lobby is that marijuana is driving mass incarceration. And it, it most certainly isn't. Uh, if we look at the numbers, so let's look at like local jails, right? The prison policy initiative data shows that a quarter of people held in local jails are in on drug charges. Now that's not just that's marijuana, not just weed. Yeah. That's all drug charges. Um, so then you go and to still not a, not a majority of right, the prisoners. Yeah, still just a quarter. Um, if you go to state prisons where 87% of U.S. prison inmates are held, state prisons by far are where most of our prisoners are, um, you find that 3.4% of all state prisoners in 2015 were in for drug possession. Again, mm. not just weed, drug possession. And 11.7% were in for other drug-related crimes. So add that together, you come up to you know 15% or so. That's crazy. I feel like I'm in a state of cognitive dissonance straight up because I have a hard time accepting that. Like, you know, I come from, from the worldview that, uh, the drug war, uh, is driving mass incarceration. That's just an assumption that I've always kind of run on. Yeah, no, and it, it makes sense. And I think it, it is in a way it is in I a mean, sense. Make no mistake. A quarter is a large, that's a large number. When we're yeah. talking about how many millions are, are incarcerated in America, that's a right. lot of people. Still. Right. And if we, if we look at everything, if we look at uh, jails and prison, 21% of people in jail or prison are in there for a drug crime. Mm. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's absolutely a sizable portion. 
And there's all sorts of ancillary things that come with it, that come with the drug war and the drug crime. Is is weed the reason why you were able to search the house and bust this guy for that? Uh. You know what I'm saying? So it, it does present other problems. But simply saying, hey, it's driving mass incarceration. If I oppose you, I can say, no, it doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that's why I think it's important to be correct about what you're... Yeah, I'm glad you're the guy with the stats, facts, and figures, because <laughs> that's not even one I would have thought to check, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I would have just cut, glossed over it and continued on. Um, so there's another interesting interesting part of this uh, situation. You know, we're talking about cognitive dissonance here. Right, right. <laughs> and that's when we get into the states' rights aspect of uh, marijuana. And, right. and we're... We're facing that conversation head on right now. We're in a situation where the federal government is clinging to Schedule One. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got federal marijuana prohibition on the books, and you have got states like California, Oregon, Colorado. Uh, I think even Ohio. There's there's a majority of states, 27, I think maybe Beans can fact check me, 26 or 27 that have come forward and put some form of legalized marijuana yeah. uh, on the books. Right. Um, So we are very much in a position of the state standing up and saying, regardless of the federal position, we believe that our for for the good of our citizens, marijuana should be legal and middle finger up if you don't like it. It's it's pretty cool when states can do that, right? Like when states can, I don't know, when states can like experiment with the policy and be like, hey, we want to see if this works, but you know, maybe the whole country isn't ready for it. That's We're going to try it out. That's that's a wonderful thing. It yeah. is a wonderful thing, and it's uh, it's kind of gotten us to a position where we may be able to scale this quagmire. In fact, yeah, um, yeah. and and attack it for real. And, and you actually you get to look and you get to say like quantifiably, you get to say, hey, look, twenty six, twenty seven states support this. In a few years, I'm sure it'll be something like thirty five states support this. So you actually have something that you can lean on that's solid and say, look at where it's doing well. Look at the impacts that it's having. Mm-hmm. I think we should change the federal law. Yeah. And it's funny because when you when you talk about the federal law versus the state laws, you know, in light of all these states having medical marijuana or recreational marijuana laws on the books, you've got the federal government going, no, we're still going to raid California dispensaries right. uh, under federal law. And and you had Obama come in, and he kind of put an end to that. So that was the beginning of the medical marijuana scene, uh, you know, early in the medical marijuana scene in, in California. You had all kinds of dispensaries who were operating uh, to the letter of the law under state law, and, and the DEA was coming in and shutting them down, busting them, kicking in the doors, uh, right. you know, taking all their stuff. And Obama said, ah, let's put an end to that. Now, of course, we've got uh, Sessions on the other side who who reversed that request. Well, no, hang on. What do you what do you what do you mean by on the other side? Surely you don't mean to tell me that Attorney General and Frodo stunt double Jeff Sessions is coming down against states' rights because I'm pretty sure when we were having the gay marriage debate. Jeff Sessions was all for states' rights. And and actually, consequently, I'm pretty sure that on that issue, Obama was not for states' rights. That's absolutely correct. It's uh, somewhat of a quagmire, right? It makes you scratch your head. It's like states' rights are only a good thing when it's an issue that I support. Yeah, I it's, know. It's kind of weird. That's that's why, you know, we, we talk a lot about, like, principles and bedrocks and foundations of the country. Dude, states' rights is insanely valuable. For like what it lets us do, it, it kind of makes us American, right? Like, I mean, other places, 
have knockoffs or generic brands of what we've got here, but we've got 50 states that can approach things in different ways to an extent and play around with things and experiment with them. And then we can, you know, broaden those out to the whole country or push them out of existence. You know That's what I right. mean? That's right. And we see here when it works well, it works. Um, we have a direct majority state challenge to federal law. And I think it's obvious uh, when you look at what's going on in those states You've got opioid use dropping. Um, in some places, you've got crime rates. Uh, well, at least the amount of solved crimes are going way, way up mm. in these states, presumably because it's freed up law enforcement to approach real crimes. You know, right. They're not out there chasing potheads anymore. Well, but our, our state rights system, it does still... There are some conflicts, right? Whenever you have two entities and one, like in this case, where, you know, the federal government is like, you can't do that. And the state is like, well, yes, you can. You know what I mean? You still have clashes and like weird quirks. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, a really interesting quirk um, is the cash situation with dispensaries and distributors, et cetera. Uh, marijuana is largely a cash business. And because, <laughs> <No> of, <joke. laughs> because of federal guidelines, Banks, even local banks, are being put in this really weird position where, hey, we can't take your money because of federal money laundering laws that prevent us from from putting our hands in in money that's been used to sell, you know, federally scheduled drugs. Wow. Um, so you've got dispensaries who are who are hiring armed guards, um, you know, security systems. They're being put through a massive amount of undue burden mm -hmm. because they're being forced to care and protect for this cash. In fact, when when dispensaries first started popping up, there were all kinds of high profile robberies, um, you know, dispensaries being broken into. And I think someone drove a truck through through one, you know, and, and took the safe out. Um, so that's a really weird position to be in when your state approves of your business yeah. um, and is even taxing it. The state's taking the money. Presumably right. the state is putting it directly into their bank accounts. Um, but you are burdened with this this responsibility of of protecting your cash. It's well, that's that's actually I was gonna say it's got to be really hard on the states and like the drug companies that like you know make and sell oxycodone not having anywhere to put their cash because if they store their cash in a bank you know they'll be subject to federal money laundering truck because that that happens to them too right <laughs> no that doesn't happen to them they have special permission no uh, but you know oxycodone is not there I guess they would say they're not the ones selling them. Yeah, you know, they're not the ones selling it, but you've got all kinds of lawsuits going across the country that are prosecuting pharmacies, for example, for their, yeah. you know, their role in distribution. So I'm not sure that's a fair one to one. No, <laughs> one no, to one I know, comparison. I know. I'm exaggerating a bit. I, I just think, I think it's silly. I, if, if your state, to me, that my interpretation of the Bill of Rights says that so long as the federal government, so long as that money doesn't cross state lines, the federal government doesn't get involved. Right. Now I could see there being some hangups if the money's going to cross state lines and everything. But you know, if you're, if you're selling whatever you're selling and you're putting the money in the state, you have no reasonable expectation for that money to leave the state. Then it never even gets to the federal government. If you ask me. Right. That, that's a really, that's a really good point. Uh, I'm not much of a policy wonk, you know, that stuff makes my eyes glaze, but it, it seems a little ridiculous. <laughs> this stuff makes my eyes glaze. Um, if we are talking about the amount of cash, uh, involved in the marijuana trade, which I think 
is probably the number one reason for a state at this point to get on board and go ahead and legalize. Like to me, that's the big driving force is like, Hey guys, there's a whole lot of money to be made here, especially in a state like Kentucky that has, I don't know, $40 billion pension debt (laughs) uh, to their workers. Uh, Legal marijuana sales exploded to $9.7 billion in North America in 2017. That's a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. And and you got to think there's still a large portion of the black market that is unrepresented in that figure. No, absolutely. And I think you're going to see everyone. I, I think, you know, it's kind of like you alluded to with Big Pharma. That's the ultimate wake up call. Like, so now we've reached the threshold where people aren't going to be riding out in the streets if we legalize marijuana tomorrow. So now it's, oh, my God, look at all this money we're about to rake in. <laughs> and And again, I think it's downhill from here. I mean, I think... It just gets progressively easier to to change these laws now that everyone sees how much cash they're going to walk away from this with. Right. So I thought it might be fun today, if we're talking about uh, money and, and weed, to do kind of like a cost-benefit analysis between prohibition and legalization. Okay. You All ready right. for that? We'll weigh them out. All right. So under prohibition, I'd say uh, the cost is the cost of enforcing the marijuana laws. And that's about mm-hmm. $3.6 billion a year. Um, and when you look at the result of that, obviously the war on weed has failed to diminish the use or availability of weed. I mean, you can go to a corner and uh, ask a random 20-year-old kid and they'll probably sell you some weed. So just like any any random 20-year-old kid? Damn near. Like, is there a certain corner? I'm not. I'm not writing this down. Or anything, but is there a certain corner? I can point where? you to the right places, buddy. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Next time we drive down, I don't know. Uh, hate Ashbury. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll point out the guy with the tam on and the dreadlocks. No, um, God, we're hip. Hate Ashbury. <laughs> oh man, we really got our finger on the pulse, bro. <laughs> Uh, any other costs under under pro- prohibition? I mean, well, I, w- I would say that you know, just however many young people, or not even not even necessarily young people, however many people have been entered into the justice system just because they had a dime bag of pot, or just Ooh. because you know they had a joint rolled up in the ashtray. Uh, however many of those uh, you know traffic stops turned into something huge. You know what I'm saying? Just because there was a, a bud. Yeah, Philando Castile smoking a blunt in the car. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, so yeah, I think there is a. You're right. There's definitely a societal cost uh, that is that is huge there, and to ignore it is is certainly at our own risk. <laughs> right. Um, now let's look for a second at the benefits of prohibition <laughs> of weed, which was a really tough section to put together, <laughs> man. Well, the only thing when we're talking about economics, the only thing I can really think of, and I hate to even mention this, is like private prison profits, like maybe we're employing people and creating wealth <laughs> at the expense of throwing people in jail over weed. You know? Well, I, I'll say, to be fair, like we've discussed how bad a concept private prisons are. I think we're both of one mind on that. But again, almost kind of like the mass incarceration thing, I think we have to put it in perspective. Private prisons account for 7% of state prisoners. Now, don't forget states' prisons are where the majority of the criminals are. Uh, prisoners are sorry. Um, they account for eighteen percent of federal prisons, but only thirteen percent of the U.S. prisoner population is housed in federal prisons. You know mm. what I'm saying? Again, mm-hmm. so so in other words, we could get rid of private prisons tomorrow, 
in federal in the federal system, it would affect about forty thousand people. Okay, so that's not so, a huge problem. That's actually good to know, like. Because that's another one of those kind of assumptions that I operate on is, oh, private prisons are the boogeyman and they're coming. Yeah. And and they are. Yeah, no, know, they are terrible. It's happening and they're, they're, they're more and more of them. But yeah. 40,000 prisoners would be affected if we eliminated private prisons from, from the federal system. Right, from prison the federal system. system. Yeah. So, uh, you know, okay, I, I, can, I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not as big of a boogeyman as yeah, I thought. Yeah, well, and I, and I think, again, if you couple that with mass incarceration – whether or not we are prohibiting marijuana is not going to have any effect on the private prison's bottom line and screw them if it did. Yeah. So fair there's, enough. there's my take on that. So I think <laughs> the other benefit um, that I kind of quibble with you on a little bit that you brought up was, uh, you know, the effect of stone drivers being on this, on the streets. Yeah. Well, you know? I mean, I, I think we have to look anytime that we're going to add something that may impair drivers much in much the same way alcohol does. I mean, obviously we know that drunk driving is a huge problem and I think, you know, marijuana drinking after, I'm sorry, driving after having smoked marijuana could lead to the exact same sort of thing. I could see that, but we've all seen the 2020 special where they made all those people smoke hella amounts of weed and then got them behind the wheel. Like most of them drove slower uh, didn't hit the cones. You know what I'm saying? There was that one girl who got like super stoned and she could barely talk. That was kind of funny. <laughs> but she said she wouldn't have gotten behind the wheel at that point anyway. And before she yeah. was all talking, oh, I'll drive stone, you know, anytime. But she got so high that she was like, no, I would definitely not get in a car at this point. <laughs> yeah, well. um, but I think overwhelmingly that showed me that uh, stone driving. Yes, if you're so stoned, you can't function. You shouldn't drive. But overwhelmingly, the people who were, you know, minorly intoxicated drove slower and more carefully. Well, I mean, bro, that's the problem, though, right? Is like people who are too intoxicated <laughs> on alcohol to drive are getting into their cars and driving. That's, that's a really good point. And yeah. in fact, and I, I'm here to tell you right now, and I will even admit that, uh, again, for the federal government, while it's not from personal experience, I have I have a very uh, close cousin named <laughs> named Dreary. And he can't drive at all uh, any time that he's smoked weed. <laughs> Fair I mean, enough. Just, just cannot and, do it. And interestingly enough, one of the big outcries from the police department in states that have legalized has been like, hey, we have no way of testing these people to mm -hmm. see if you're stoned. In fact, um, if, if they have evidence that you've smoked weed within two days, I can't remember what state it was. I think it's California. Um, they can try, try you for driving under the influence. Yeah. Um, so there's actually advocacy groups out there saying, if you're asked how long it's been since you smoked pot, even though you're a medical marijuana user and you have your card, you better tell them more than two days ago or keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's an interesting conundrum though, when we're talking about I, I think, safety. I think, I think that marijuana advocates need to be prepared. I, I don't know how we're going to test for it. I don't know how we're going to work that out. But I think they need to be prepared for it to be treated the same way as alcohol. You think the I same think, way? Yeah, I, no, I do. Because here's the thing. I mean, when we're talking about drunk driving, there are plenty of statistics that show, you know, thousands and thousands of people affected. Now, I think there are some people who should not be behind the wheel when they're stoned. But I, I don't think that it's near at the same level of severity as it, driving drunk. It, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters. And I would wonder like what what you're comparing it to you're you're saying that it's not as bad as when you're drunk i'm saying it's not as good as when you're sober that's you, true you see what i'm saying like that's so true. so the first time that you're 
a little high and your reaction time is a little slower and you paralyze a kid, that's not cool, man. That's I mean, true. I, I think we do have to treat it the same. I See, you say the same. I think we do have to treat it the same in concept, but not, I mean, obviously you're not going to set a 0.08 level uh, for, for marijuana intoxication. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We have to take a different scale. Um, we have to approach it differently in the same way, if that makes fair, sense. Well, fair enough. I'll give you that in that we will have to figure out like what, what a reasonable amount is before most of the population would be too impaired to drive. Right. Do you think two days ago is, is too far? If you had say, if, if your cousin Sneary had, uh, had smoked weed two days ago and was going to give you a ride to work today. We, we don't, we don't talk about the, the devil's lettuce very much because, you know, me and Drury don't get along because of that. So I, I can't say that I'd have an opinion on that. <laughs> uh, way to weasel out of that. Um, so there's one other uh, benefit of <laughs> prohibition. Well, you want to talk about a tenuous benefit? We were struggling, folks. <laughs> uh, I don't think this is actually that tenuous, in fact. Um, <laughs> the black market, in a lot of ways, is propping up very small, impoverished communities. You've got communities throughout Appalachia. I mean, hell, we talk about, for years, we've talked about how we all know weed is the number one Kentucky cra- cash crop. Mm-hmm. How the hell is that possible when weed's illegal? Well... <laughs> there is a large and thriving black market for marijuana, and it is in many ways saved uh, many Eastern Kentuckiers, uh, Kentuckians. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, uh, I am I am not high right now. Sure. I am not high. I promise. No, not at all. Um, but but I think we have to consider how we go about keeping those people empowered because. In a lot of states, when they've passed these laws, they've been very strict about who they've allowed to grow weed. Um, and I think we quickly get into a point where these same people who have been granted flouting the law and, and you know, living as outlaws, but at the same time, feeding their families, nurturing their communities, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, how we give that back to them as mm. acceptable. Because I think to, to turn the page now and to say, you know, yeah, we all agree weed's okay, but you still can't grow it, you know, or, uh, or to, to demonize them for, for that is, is wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think we have to consider how to, how to keep those people in the forefront. Well, I think we would clearly be best served by helping those people transition into the legal businesses, right? They already have the know-how now. Do they have other things going on? You know what I'm saying? So like, does your does your record for being caught growing weed illegally impact your your right to grow weed legally? Should it? Absolutely I, I not. Yeah, I don't think it should at all. But I think it does. I mean, there's if it was a felony uh, felony marijuana case, right? Then absolutely, in some states, that would preclude you from being involved. Well, in that's the marijuana what I'm saying. Business. I think that's that's a provision that we we've just got to not let be put in place because I think. Like you said, some people have built their livelihoods around it, and if we're going to acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with it, then a prior crime with it definitely shouldn't keep you from, you know what I mean? Because uh, federal government, you were in the wrong. That's you right. You know what I'm saying? Not not that person. Now, you can make the argument they knew what the law was and they broke it and all that stuff, but at that point, you're just you're busting balls. I yeah, mean, especially too. in the face of, of the, the terrible behavior but from the federal I th- government. I think what you are going to see, though, is unfortunately you're going to see a lot – of those people try to maintain 
uh, like a black market grow op. And especially if we're talking about the Appalachians because of the history with moonshine. Mm-hmm. And I think those people are going to see their operations get crushed. And I'm going to tell you why, because when you take the DEA and you take away the larger marijuana issue, and now they have all this money just to search out those black market grow ops, mm-hmm. the same way that the ATF just got to go looking for moonshiners mm. instead of going after gang gangsters. Well, then they're going to land on them like a ton of bricks. That's a really and, good point. Yeah. That's something I hadn't considered. And, 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 you know, maybe there's something we can do to kind of mitigate that and, and walk them back from that. I don't know. But I will say that that legalization in, say, California, et cetera, um, hasn't stomped out the black market. There is still uh, a large and thriving black market in California. Uh, go stay on the the hostile circuit and, and, and <laughs> yeah. you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. There's plenty yeah. of people who don't want to be taxed by it. Um, evading the taxes by selling uh, weed on the black market could actually mean you offer a lower price than actually nine times out of yeah. 10 uh, would necessitate that you're offering a lower price than the dispensary. But you, you just, you just answered your own question. I mean, the same things happen with alcohol prohibition, right? But the state's going to get their money. Mm. And, and now we have brought the state into it and the state gets to tax it. And while we may enjoy the fact that we don't have to pay taxes on it, the state ain't having that. And I promise you, they will designate a, a segment of enforcement to make sure that the state is getting every dollar yeah, they just, can possibly get. Just like they did with moonshine. And that's, and that's what I meant about this being tenuous is because while it is a real world effect and it is going to impact lives, ultimately, you know, it's, it, we're talking out of two sides of our mouth to, in a sense, because we're saying, Hey, you know, it's going to bring in all this money. It's going to be great and all this stuff. But, you know, these poor people, these these people who are doing these black market grow ops, they're they're not going to be able to keep growing black market and selling it without taxes and stuff. Well, you you can't you can't endorse somebody breaking the law. You know what I'm saying? Like when when you're trying to set up a system like this, you can't say, hey, you guys should keep on doing your black market thing. So it it sucks. Uh, I hope we find a way to transition them over. But that's what it has to be. There is no middle ground. Yeah, like I agree. We, so it's one know. of those areas of compromise. If, yeah. It's like if you want it, if you if you want it this way, you got to accept the consequences and right. and the black market disappearing is uh or at least being uh continuing to be a black market Greatly and being reduced. persecuted. There's still moonshiners out there. I'm just saying Hey, I had a really nice jar the other weekend. I'm not going to say who brought it to me, but thank you. That was uh awesome and delicious. Never, Went never even, smooth. never even seen it before. I don't, I have no idea what you're talking. About. <laughs> I'm gonna get a knock on the door after this show. Holy shit! <laughs> so, uh, let's move on to the cost and benefits of legalization. Much easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, it's something people don't really talk about, but there is definitely a cost to to legalization. Um, not only in like establishing the laws and such, and the time that it takes to to establish all that stuff and talk about it. But uh, the drug testing industry in America is a $3 billion industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you talk about weed crimes being like a small portion of the in- incarcerated population, I think we got to think about where those people are at in the justice system. So that's not yeah. necessarily talking about how many people are arrested. Right. For, we know, for we know people crimes. are being arrested for weed that's crimes. That's right. So yeah. where are they at? They're in the probation system. Um, most weed arrests don't result in incarceration. Uh, they result in one to five year probation periods. And the number of people arrested for marijuana law violations in 2016 
was 653,249. Um, and at year end in 2015, an estimated 4,650,900 adults were under community supervision. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of folks, man. So think about kind of what that subculture of criminalization uh, is, is subsidizing. People, these people are paying for their own probation. Right. Um, we talk about keeping poor people poor and you get arrested for a joint, you go in the system and you're paying those fees every single month, every single week right? Um, for up to five years. And I guarantee you that is no small part, no small portion of the justice system's funding. Absolutely. Where are those uh, fines and levies going to? Yeah. Um, they're going to enforcement and, uh, so that's, that's one of those skeezy things that like, you don't really want to, you know, like I said, as we listed in the costs of prohibition, we don't want these lives impacted. You don't want kids forever seeing their record tarnished because of a dime sack or, or what have you. But at the same time, it is something that not so much is going to make us reverse course, but we've got to write it down and remember not to forget about that going forward. Hey, the justice system might need additional funding because they're about to lose a bunch of fees. So when the justice system comes to you and says, Hey, we don't have the money for, you know, public defenders or we don't have the money for this, or we don't have the money for that. Well, that could be one of the possible causes. Yeah. And I'd absolutely, I have to say that most of the uh, medical marijuana bills, recreational marijuana bills stipulate that a portion of that tax money goes to enforcement. Mm. Um, and makes up for for a lot of that lost That's funding. That's good and should continue to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It also, in many cases, goes to drug cases and rehabilitation programs and things like that. Right. Um, another big cost of legalization that I think people don't uh, don't consider, and they're talking about it now for the first time, is the environmental impact of large scale grow operations. So mm. you have got. Um, more or less unregulated California farmers, Oregon farmers pumping their crops full of pesticides um, and it's and it's running off and it's washing into fresh water systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we've dealt with this uh, with farmers in no small part in our in our past and we've got to deal with it now. you know that's a very real cost of, of doing business if we're going to increase the supply of weed to meet this and, huge demand. And an extremely ironic one uh, when you think about it. it's kind of like I remember hearing that uh, what is it soy soy production is like the second leading contributor to the greenhouse gas effect. I mean it's by far outstripped by like factories and cars, but it has an impact. And when I when I saw this like it made me think of that exact same thing like, Ain't that kind of funny, yeah. you know? I mean? <laughs> but but you're right. No, it is, and I think that happens with anything. Uh, when we first go into it, you know, we often talked about in other industries. It's like the wild, wild west. It's unregulated. You know, people are just going out there, going for the cash grab, doing whatever they can to get their piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. So of course, there's going to have to be some pushback. We just got to make sure that it's even handed, and we don't end up doing something where we turn over all marijuana growing to Monsanto or something <laughs> right. like that. You know what right. I mean? So. <laughs> that's a that's a really good point. Um, there's a couple other costs like. I guess idiot in chief Matt Bevin over here in Kentucky pointed to a couple of instances in, say, Colorado, where people had taken uh, too many edibles and mm-hmm. gone crazy. Um, and, you know, they're calling the EMTs thinking did they're they, dying and stuff. Did, so they, that's, did they jump out of windows and start 
start interracial dating as well? Uh, no, no. But they were no. crawling on the sidewalk, you know, begging for help, saying they're going to die. So, you know, that's a burden that's placed on yeah. uh, on our emergency medical no, system. No, absolutely. Because no, no drunk person has ever crawled on the sidewalk <laughs> or done anything out of the ordinary. What you're saying is that that cost is, is just part of doing business. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, again, man, that's a silly, I, I, I'm all for treating things fairly. And, 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 you know, like I said, that's why I wanted to have the mass incarceration numbers. Well, it's the same thing here. Like you can bring that out and be like, well, you know, there's some people that just had too many edibles. Well, there's some people that have too many drinks, man. Well, I mean, and like, I would, I would also argument. argue that, um, those people freaking out on edibles, have led to some pretty common sense regulations about marijuana edibles. They have to be labeled in a lot of states now yeah. with exactly how much THC they contain uh, with a suggested dose. Because people were going and buying a chocolate bar that was like 20 doses and eating the whole chocolate bar. Um, there's also the question of, of how consistent their measurement of how much THC an edible contains is. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So there, there are definitely people pushing for uh, you know, ways to test edible products and make sure that they're, you know, at a percentage level with alcohol, it's easy. You know, we measure mm -hmm. the proof it's cake, you know, the, the system to measure proofing is not expensive. You just, you just do it and you right. label the bottle and you're all good. Uh, there's a little bit of complication in there with weed, but we're, we're on the way to figuring that out. So, yeah. Another thing to bear in mind though, the farther, the, the more rigorous that gets, the harder it is for non-corporate businesses to be in that business, right? Mm. Because the more things that you have to regulate and you have to keep an eye on that drives the cost your costs involved, up. yeah. And then before you know it, uh, not necessarily Monsanto, but yeah, you're going to have more corporate businesses having a much easier time of producing that. That's right. So anytime you regulate, you risk raising the barrier to entry for right. a business. Uh, another really interesting place where I see a cost of marijuana, and you may even be able to draw some parallels with lobbying funding uh, <laughs> spent, is that alcohol sales typically tend to decline in states where marijuana is is widely available. It's yeah. just uh, just a cost of, of doing business, yeah. if you will. Um, so I think some alcohol corporations, companies, producers uh, may have a vested interest in in keeping weed on the black market yeah i think it's just got to be said and, and those companies employ people and again you know you you worry about their jobs at the same time i don't think that there's any question that alcohol has a much more significant health health impact on somebody than weed does at this point now That's, granted we're still there's still a few long-term studies that are coming to conclusion and stuff but i i don't think the tide of evidence is going to be reversed and with with weed, we're just straight up not talking about cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, we're straight up, right. not, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, we're it's not talking about animal. that. We're not talking about cancer. We're not talking about COPD. Right. Uh, we're not, you know, especially if you're if you're giving people alternative ways to ingest marijuana besides smoking. I think yeah. most of the health risks that we think about with weed are because of smoking weed. And well, if you can go get edibles, then you can completely eliminate any risks of smoking. I don't think that any of these studies that are up in the air are, are going to come down yeah. too hard, man. Well, we have, we have an interesting one because it kind of, it straddles the line, right? We can see where the legalization of marijuana is going to produce both a cost and a benefit. Yep. And that's with the cartels, right? So when this happens, we're instantly going to see the cartels have a source of revenue caught up, cut off to them. And they, of well, course, and they already talking, have. Yeah. Right, right, right. 
But at the same time, that means that they are going to double down and shift into harder drugs. You know, to make I mean, up they, for the lost profits. Yeah, again, they're not they're not going to lose money either. They're just like the state. So, so on one hand, you know, you're going to you're going to see them have to retract in a sense, but then it's a question of will them redoubling their efforts and now they're going to push say heroin harder or cocaine harder. Is that methamphetamine, going, I think if you're talking about for sure. Is that going to increase usage rates? You know what I mean? Is that going to cause a bigger problem with those drugs? Well, and possibly in the future, I think I think right now, I wish I had the study to cite, but I, I think there are studies that are showing that the, the drug use for those harder drugs is also going down, at least right. for now. You know, maybe there's a point where, um, you know, the supply is so big and those drugs get so cheap mm-hmm. that people pick them up. Uh, you know, I don't know. You're right. It's something we ought to look out for, right. but it's not a big fear on my radar. No, and large, largely I agree because I think people will take the least dangerous substance with which they can get intoxicated with nine times out of 10. <laughs> um, I just worry about, you know, I remember in episode 10 with Beanzo, uh, you know, we had brought up hot shots and I worry about, you know, like the cartels or whoever doubling down on practices like that. Like bringing in a bunch of fentanyl to cut it with the heroin here. And then yeah. a bunch of people are getting shots that kill them. Absolutely. Because they're trying to make back all the money. Because they're going to lose a sizable amount of money. Oh, absolutely. And these are people who are not accustomed to having to accept losing a sizable <laughs> amount of money. Like any other corporation. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So we talked about the costs uh, of legalization. Uh, let's spend a little bit talking about the benefits of legalization. And for mm-hmm. me, the big one, uh, one of the big ones is is keeping families together, man. Yeah. Uh, we arrest a lot of people for enjoying and relaxing with with marijuana. Um, and it's not fair. You know, you're you're ripping parents from children every single day mm-hmm. um, by the thousands and thousands and thousands. Uh, I don't think we can ignore the tax benefits of legalization. Uh, you know, I talked about Kentucky's pension situation. Plenty of states are in similar situations. We could all use more money. Uh, you know, the black market is not being taxed. It's a huge, huge pool of money that's completely untapped. Uh, I think it's 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 obvious. Um, there's another interesting benefit that will quickly slip away from us if if we don't act quickly, and that's the money gained in the weed tourism industry. So when Colorado legalized they did not uh, estimate, they thought that people would come in and ski uh, and they would buy weed, right? But yeah. what ended up happening, they saw this huge explosion, uh, you know, of more and more people coming that, that weren't even there to ski. What well, was happening? Well, they, they had people coming to buy weed. That's right. And they just happened to ski. Instead of flying to Amsterdam for your, for your weed holiday, people in droves were coming to Colorado to visit the dispensaries. So mm-hmm. every second that a state spends waffling on legalization, they're losing out on money that could be taxed in their state. Right. Um, and I think that's a huge thing to consider as we're moving to the tail end of states yeah. who are, you know, the last holdouts. Like if you want to get in on this thing, the time is now yeah. uh, because people are going over to Colorado and they're going over to California and they're spending their money there. Um, the other really important benefit, I think, is signaling to an entire generation of kids that one, the government is not wholly and completely corrupt. 
because I think if you're looking at scheduling um, and and what we're doing with weed in the United States, it's it's pretty easy to to see it's clearly corrupt. Yeah. You know, whatever reason, whoever's making their money where they're making their money or whatever they're keeping from happening uh, is not in the interest of people at no, all. I, I think that's clearly like an entry point into teenage rebellion getting like focused at the government. You know what I yeah, mean? Like absolutely like that, that punk rock and all that stuff. When you see uh DEA scheduling for the first time and you are 16 years old, you just, it's, you almost lose faith in everything. Yeah, You're mind like, blown, right. Yeah. And yeah. we also have this, uh, this awesome opportunity to signal to people in the United States that things can change. This is one of those issues that that has followed me throughout my life, and I've scratched my head the whole time in awe. I've been here for 35 years, and why is it still this way? No. Uh, and 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 part of that feeling to me is like, ah, oh, things just can't change. You know, right. we're so far gone that even something as obvious as this uh, can't change. I, it's it's time. Both parties, either side, needs to step up. Uh, both sides hold hands together and say it's time to end this thing, or a third party is going to come and screw you guys real yeah. soon. Well, actually, I, I think in fairness, uh, we're starting to see that. I think uh, there actually there is a bill floating around Congress. It's been there since like last August, and it's proposed by Cory Booker to federally legalize weed and defer to state law. Like it actually has provisions in it that says, you know, and also we will defer to the states. Ooh. on on how they choose to regulate i like that um so we would be legal in colorado and illegal in alabama if that's what alabama wants i like that but a lot. then federally it would be legal and there's nothing that the enormously eared you know attorney general jeff sessions would be able to do to <laughs> encourage you know cracking down on people for just enjoying themselves now there's there's things i like about the bill for sure um, you know, for one, removing marijuana from federal drug scheduling. Uh, he also makes it easier. Ooh, removing it completely from yes, federal scheduling. Yes. That's great. Uh, making it easier for folks convicted of marijuana crimes to have their records expunged. Awesome. And folks that should serving, be mandatory. I think if if we if we go ahead and remove weed from scheduling, I think anyone in the system right now that shit should be gone from your record immediately. Yeah. Oh, it gets better and better. Folks serving time for marijuana crime uh, get to have their sentences re- uh, reviewed. So even the people who are in jail, you know, I mean, that's viewed, you know, that's okay. I feel like you should just open the gates and let them out. Well, you, you, you have to look at the fact, you know, what exactly went into that is you, you can't, Maybe if there you were other blanket saying law, Hey, anybody who's got a marijuana, you're good. Peace. You know, have them look at each situation. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and, uh, of course there's tons of, you know, it's Cory Booker. There's tons of community reinvestment funds for communities impacted hardest by aggressive marijuana prosecution mm. that, you know, on its face, I don't have a problem with so long as, you know, it doesn't end up in Fairfax County, Virginia, <laughs> like those community <laughs> block development grants we talked about. But, but I'm willing to let those ride for the greater good. Um, I'm not a big Cory Booker fan, but I, I don't have to be to support this bill. You That's know right. what I mean? I mean, right. I, I support the aims of the bill. There is one thing that bothers me in the bill, and it's a provision that says uh, that it would cut federal funding to states that have racially disproportionate arrest rates on marijuana crimes. Hmm. Now, here's the thing. Like, I understand why, you know, we talked about Alaska and it's 10 times as many, you know, black people as white people being arrested. And that's something that we definitely need. Yep. Yeah. But if we're talking about using federal funding 
we're getting into a question of what exactly are we incentivizing? And we got to be careful about that. Um, Cause you don't want to see, you know, we talked about the state getting its money. They'll do anything to get their money. So we don't want to see artificial balance in arrest numbers just because the state want to make sure that federal funding doesn't get cut off. Right. I want people who aren't doing crimes to be left untouched. And I want people who are doing crimes to be caught and dealt with. You yeah, know what I mean? So, so I don't want to see that changed in either way. You so know I, I mean? can see kind of a parallel there with, with Broward County uh, down at the Parkland shooting, you know, that program where they were, they were not reporting crimes that were happening, right. uh, you know, to meet some quota. Right. That, that creates this weird incentive to, to get things wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would heavily push, uh, you know, we, we talked last episode about how to how to move forward on initiatives mm-hmm. and, and get them done and stuff. This is one where I, I look at it and the good far outweighs the bad. So practically, I'm going to let that one principal go and maybe that community block <laughs> yeah. development grant principal go and I'm going to support this bill. I'm all for it. Well, I want to point out, too, I'm I am aggressively pro marijuana, you know, if you haven't been able to tell. Um, but I'm also OK with allowing states to make up their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it gets to be too big of a deal to me, I'll just move to a state where it's allowed. You know, mm-hmm. we're at 26, 27 states now. It'll be 36. It'll be 37. It'll be 48. Um, and if I'm stuck in a state that doesn't serve me as a citizen, then I'll, yeah. you know, hightail, hightail and leave. I, I guess what I'm pointing at is like, I don't think we need the federal government to do this for us. Yeah. I think we need to get the federal government out of the way so we can do it for ourselves. I think there's something else huge that you gain by letting states' rights run its course like that. So, for instance, if the people of Alabama think that marijuana is having an adverse effect on their community, and then you have the federal government come through and say, no, you're going to legalize it because we said so, well, now all those people have you know a case to make that in, in some way they've been oppressed. They didn't get the right of self-determination. Mm. You know, but if we if we can allow them to decide this issue for themselves and come along when they decide to join the party, that's much better for everybody. There are times where the federal government has to assert itself, say with segregation or Jim Crow. But we got to try to only do that when necessary. It's it's because it has to be done doesn't mean that we should just do it willy nilly. And quite frankly, why would the people of Oregon or the people of Washington or the people of California understand what's best for Alabama? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, in most cases, I think we should let states, you know, have the right of self-determination. Uh, what we should definitely not do is allow an appointment like Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the <laughs> third uh, to determine marijuana policy in America, especially when he's saying things like, um, you know, weed smokers are bad people. And uh, I thought the KKK was all right until I found out they smoked pot. Um, you know, we've joked about him quite a bit on the show in various ways, but yeah. I think it's very clear there's a conflict of interest here, especially when he's a guy that typically supports states' rights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little ludicrous to me. No, it is. And not to mention that he took Smeagol's side against Sam. And then in Mount Doom, he didn't want to give up the ring. I think that's something that we are should st- all be paying attention to. I mean, you, you know, his his crimes are really Frodo endless. Thing? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Without further ado, let's kick it to our fact checker extraordinaire Beanzo, who is going to pick apart the episode with a fine tooth comb and tell us all of the many ways we screwed up today. Beanzo, what you got for us? 
<coughs> oh, shit. <sighs> Showtime. Hey, buddies. It's your old pal, Beanzo. Here to straight the record set on all the things Sense and Theory flub today. Flub. <laughs> so, let's see. Sense doesn't know when the poll he's citing was taken. Of course. That's going to be October of 17, amigo. October of 2017, for those of you who aren't schooled in the Romance languages. Theory said Epidiolex was the first weed drug. Survey says that was Marinol theory. <laughs> That's good. Check it out. Here's Radiohead with their smash new single, Marinol Theory. <laughs> oh, let's see what else we got. 30 states have some form of marijuana legalization, not, not whatever crap since said. Uh, CBD actually stands for Caramello. I mean, whatever, man. <laughs> Look. Sense and theory are trash. Bob Ross was a saint. Peanut butter and Cheeto sandwiches are delicious. Have a good night. Fellas, back to you. No, nah, man, see, that's that's the problem, man. Like, nobody, it's it's all around us, like, all the time. But, like, mm. nobody sees it, man. The, the, the cunning, the deceit, like, the treachery, man, the way the power was subverted. I'm telling you, man. Jar Jar Binks was a Sith Lord, dude. And people will try to tell you differently, but you don't, I don't buy know, it. man. Hand me, hand me the, the checks checks mix. I, I don't know about but you Jar Jar, Jar Binks, I'm telling man. you, dude. Jar Jar, you totally have force powers and shit. It's all there, man. It's all there. Just, just go look at it again, bro. <laughs> My man, are you trying to tell me that Jar Jar Binks is on Darth Vader's side. Absolutely, man. Like him and Palpatine. Look at this. Look, look. He was always like questioning Qui Gon, right? So that's what made like little Anakin start to question the Jedi's. Man, I'm telling you, dude. He was working with Palpatine. You and they weren't ready for you. Were it, just dude. blown my my little mind. I mean, I thought I'd seen Star Wars. Yeah, man. But I've never, I've never seen Star Wars, man. No. Nah. You, you know what? I think you've never seen. I mean, wait, no, what you've never heard? What was that? You've never heard Taylor Swift, man. Oh. I mean, I feel like I take a lot of crap on the show and, and the emails Bro. and the Twitter DMs. It gets a little tiring being the guy who takes crap for liking Taylor Swift. I mean, I'll bet. It's weird because I don't even like pop music, but. No. Like love songs, either they're all love songs and they're all kind of on the Means you know the surface level, but for some reason they come on the radio and they just they 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 grab me, they you know they move me. I'm I'm moved. <coughs> no, you know, <coughs> hang on, mm. you know why you're moved? I'm gonna tell you why you're moved, man. Have you ever seen Taylor Swift's belly button? No, no, you haven't. And you, and you look in all the pictures, it's always hidden. I'm gonna tell you why. She is a clone. A what? Of Anton LaVey's daughter, Zena LaVey. Look it up, bro. And they are Satanists. Do, I'm telling you right now, man. Does, mm -hmm. does she work with Darth Vader? 
world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys, but more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description, and feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at Sense and Theory Podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in their feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beanzo out. Sense and Theory podcast does not condone the use of marijuana in states where it is not legal to do so. Uh, I also want to let you guys know that no marijuana was consumed during the recording of today's episode because we live in a state where it is not legal to do so. See, Sense and Theory, we're just really, really, um, we're good entertain actors you know contrary to whatever beans might think i don't even like that guy